I'm Stephen Gregory Smith. And I'm Matt Connor. We are bringing treats and tricks. Or to season six of The, the Connor, Connor and Smith, Smith Show. Um, hi, how are you? What's going on? Well, we are in week three of Ichabod, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow at Cre- Creative Cauldron. Yep. Um, it's going well. It's going very well. And uh, if you're in the area, we hope you can see it. www.creativecauldron.org for tickets. And if you're not in the area, you can live stream the show on the 29th of October at 7.30 p.m. There are streaming tickets available for that night. So please do join us. We Check it out. We hope you can. Um, we also have launched a Patreon if you haven't heard about it. If you want to support us, the link is in the description. We appreciate it. Helping to uh, create new content and new uh, entertainment for you all. And thanks also for joining us on this quick little October spooky jaunt. Uh, thank you for listening to our movie discussions. Uh, we only have a couple left. Then we'll be back to SU um, in November, December. So today's film we're talking about is a new film. You can rent it, uh, I think, and and stream it. It's called The Black Phone. Uh, It is a story based on the Joe Hill story. Joe Hill is Stephen King's son. um, And I thought it was pretty fantastic. Uh, We discuss it at length and you'll get into all that we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back in 1985 Tyler was meeting Justin at their favorite arcade Longshot just as Justin was about to confess his love for Tyler the world changed Blending elements of 1980s pop culture and LGBTQIA fiction, we journey through this incredible experience that brings them closer together as they fight against a world trying to keep them apart. Listen to Longshot on Anchor FM, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The year is 1978. We are in North Denver, and there is someone called the Grabber snatching children. Um, And we are talking today about the Black Phone 2022. Um, Any other uh, stats? Who directed this, Ryan? Scott Derrickson. He directed uh, Doctor Strange, Sinister, something else. And it's from the Sinister team that we get Ethan Hawke back, right? Right, right. Um, Ethan Hawke playing the grabber in question. Uh, did you read this? I, the short story? I think I... I feel like I did. Was this in 20th Century Ghosts? I don't know if it was that one or another one of his, but I think I've read both of his short stories. I was just wondering. It said, it said at the, I think, at the top of the film or someplace in the film that it was based on the book. Yeah. Now, when they say based on the book... Does that mean that we could read the book and maybe see some slight differences? Oh, there's definitely different yeah. differences. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I I was really... Uh, I thought the mood and atmosphere and cinematography was really interesting. I love the time period in 1978. Yeah, and it really lets you uh, live 
in that time period for a little while and really get to know the characters and it and you really feel like it's 1978 the year that Stephen Gregory Smith was born I know which is why it's such an important year <laughs> in American history um, I got shades of I, th I think I wrote this down after you said it but I, I, I concur Matt shades of Carrie of The Shining of It and Silence of the Lambs yeah there were a lot of vibes from all of those uh, films. Of course, Joe Hill, the writer, we should mention, uh, is the son of, of Stephen King. Um, in one of the opening scenes, we see the, the, there's a, a son and a daughter and a morning breakfast scene that we can tell by how careful the children are being to be quiet. A slurp of their milk from their cereal is enough to cause a major tirade from this father who is quite clearly alcoholic and abusive um, and who kind of looks like Stephen King. Which you had said there was a story about the noise and stuff when... Oh, back in Stephen's like really bad days of drugs and alcoholism, um, that scene that he wrote in The Shining with Jack being very upset at being disturbed was not far off from how Stephen felt about being disturbed from writing. Um, so it kind of rings true, and it made me wonder what Stephen King thinks about this film. Because he's, his mind was constantly in thought and plots and twists and characters. And, and was, drinking. And mm -hmm. drinking, but if someone interrupted him, it would destroy his focus on what he was thinking his about. His house of cards in his head, yeah. Um, Who puts a phone in the basement? But I mean, we'll get there. Hey, spoilers uh, for anybody that hasn't seen it starting now. Yeah. Um, Shut it off. Watch it. Come back right here. Yeah. So uh, we we're talking about you don't know why the father is the way that he is. And I'm not saying that any person should ever treat their children in the, in the way that he did. But by the end of the film, you understand they lost, you know, the wife, mother, uh, she was clairvoyant like the kids were and he couldn't deal with that and her death and everything and then the kids being like their mother like again not saying that what he, how he reacted to all of that is, is right but it does give you a little bit of a you know insight into this horrible dude what he, the way he treats his children, right? Yeah, the sister is clairvoyant and she's having dreams and about... And the boy. And the boy. I guess we don't pick up on that as much at right. first. Yeah. But the uh, the sister is picking up on seeing the people who are disappearing like the night or two before. Um, yeah, it. <laughs> it is in the movie. How so? Balloons, <laughs> van, clown... Uh, Pennywise was not in a van. Pennywise looked like it, it could have driven a van. Let's talk about the van. Let's get into it. The the, the van is... So, <clears throat> whereas John Wayne Gacy also killed young boys, but he was a clown, the grabber who kills young boys is a magician with a big black van that says abracadabra, like magic and supplies Now you or see something. it now. Is grabber a real word... To describe someone like that, or is that just from the book? Well, it's like a kid snatcher. No, I get it. Yeah. But I've never heard, like, the, the grabber. grabber. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Some, yeah, probably some journalist within that world. I mean, I thought Trump was the grabber. Well. I'd heard that he... In chief, yeah, former. I'd, I'd heard that he would grab um, a little. But there's there's black 
balloons found at every site. Creepy. And it it's, turns out that the black balloons are the grabber's like way of distracting and kind of grabbing the child by di- like putting them in this cloud of balloons and restraining them. The illusion of uh, it being a safe I don't know. I don't know if black balloons are ever safe. Well, why would, I mean, it's also, it's magic. I mean, he's luring. Yeah. Well, also, once you go in that cloud of balloons, it completely covers from anyone kind of seeing what's happening. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so the black balloons were very stark. I, I love balloons. I love the usage of balloons. So, um, I like black. Um, the, I'm, I'm just putting this out there. The, is the grabber gay? Probably. Right. Or pedophilic, probably more like. Um, there's that one scene. Well, first of all, when we see him with the top hat and everything, like taking the boy, he's got like a fabulous scarf on. He's very flamboyant, magician motions. He is downstairs with the boy who he kidnaps, and he says, "I just wanted to look at you," and it's so like, um, and and he likes to play a game called Naughty Boy. Uh, that kills them through belt spanking. I just think he's some kind of weird pedophile or something. But did... well, I think I think it goes back. I, I'm you know I'm guessing goes back to uh, how they were ra- he was raised, right? Because that was it, it's his brother that's up there, right? So how they were raised by whatever parental figures they had. It probably has something to do with that. So... But the kid's father was spanking the sister. Yeah. So Matt kind of so there was like a weird dichotomy between the two, right? Correlation. Yeah, almost like what was he wrestling with his own demons through yeah. all this as well? The metaphor. Well, you know, I I don't want to make it into an it story where it was sort of you know their manifestations, but it, I was wondering if there was anything there because there were some similarities mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the trauma that the family, the kids, and the, the dad had made the dad pull further away from the children, and the children grew closer together. And, you know, she was so protective of her brother. And, mm-hmm. like, I mean, that fight is brutal. I yeah. thought the kid died. The Who one, she hit with the, the one rock? That just had, the oh one that God. just had blood yeah, no, coming down his die. head. I was like, is the kid going to die? <laughs> Then she would be uh, guilty of murder. But then the trauma, uh, you know, of also their their mother knowing that she saw things or whatever, you know, this kind of thing. And then by the end of the film, it's not just the little girl that has it. Through this whole thing, the little boy has it. So, like, I think they probably understand their mother, which that it already brought them together, this trauma. But now... I think there's a, this understanding of who she was as well. So this, 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 our main hero, and I, forgive me, I don't know the name of him. I didn't write it down. I have very few notes on this, guys, because I was just... You mean the main kid? Yeah. I was enraptured with the film, and I did not write a lot because I was watching. I was glued. Um, I have one page that's... Mate, was it Mason Timms? Finley Blake? Finney. Finney Blake? Yeah, that's correct. His last name is like the river in England. Right. Thames. That's um, how you pronounce it. It could be Thames. So there's many victims of the, the grabber before our main character, um, Finney, is grabbed himself. So the grabber doesn't have a name. Just grabber. It's just called the grabber. Yeah. Played by Ethan Hawkey. No, just Hawk. Ethan Hawk. <laughs> um, so he is 
take into this basement. There is a black phone, the titular black phone, on the wall, but the cord is cut. It does not work. It hasn't, the grabber says, since he was a kid. Um, so it's basically he has a mattress, and there's some rolled up rugs in the corner and a toilet. There's not much. Um, but then the boy, one of, besides the real life horror, the, the bigger horror elements kind of are he's visited by the ghosts of the children, the other boys that the grabber has killed uh, through the phone first, where he'll just hear their voices. Then he starts to see them. I thought it was an interesting detail that they don't know what their names are anymore. They know basically just like what they did on Earth, but they don't. It doesn't matter where they are. Um, but they they start telling him little things that they did that didn't work, but maybe they had started something that he could pick up, and maybe it would work for him. And I thought that was a really cool kind of premise. So he was talking to the dead. Yeah. Right. That's when he starts. We start, or you don't really realize that he's. That's what's happening, and that's because his mother was clairvoyant. His sister is, and he didn't realize he was. I guess mm -hmm. until this moment of another trauma, kind of bringing it out in him, out of necessity. Right. Um, there's some scenes in here where the grabber basically is sitting in his chair. With we don't see, after we get to the house, we don't see that guy's face again. He's in this mask, this devil mask that is that covers always the bottom part of his face right until the very final scene but it seems like there are interchangeable pieces on the mask some yeah. are smiles some are like frowny face and that's for when they're naughty boy so he's trying to get upstairs and pass the grabber who's asleep in his chair and unlock a padlock on the back door and that sequence is terrifying um, because he gets the numbers, because it's the lock of a of a, a dead uh, kid, but he is not sure what combination of those numbers it is. So yeah. He has to try all of them. Of course, it's the last. And he gets out, but then gets right back. He he gets grabbed a second time, and there was like notes of Dahmer to me of the victim that escaped and how like heartbreaking it is when it's even more heartbreaking because it was real. But you know the police took him right back. Um, there is is a, a point where one of the boys tells him to um, use the toilet lid, which was one of the first things when I saw there was a toilet. See the, the it parallels. I keep going back to the the, the toilet lid is how uh, Beverly and it uh, incapacitates her father. It's seemingly killing him. I don't know, but. Um, and a toilet lid is like, you could really mess somebody up with that. So the second I saw there was a toilet lid, I'm like, oh, God. Well, that's your weapon. But, you know, the movie isn't very... Well, okay, so I agree with you. But there was the part where he was trying... He was told by one of the ghosts to dig that hole. To use it... This is where I was getting to, okay. yeah. To, to use it to dig through the wall, through the back of the freezer, and then try to get out through the freezer, which he could not do. But, but to dig the hole with the... That they, that he fell in at the end. No, no, the the con on the concrete wall. He used the toilet. He, he lid. used the toilet yeah. lid to get into the concrete wall to, to get, get into, into the, freezer. the freezer. But as he was going along with the uh, the toilet lid, you could see with the progress that it, it started to break off. Yeah. So it could have 
not been available to him. Yeah, that's true. For the, but but instead he has told basically, and there's many different dead boy ghosts who are each different in their characterization to pack the phone with dirt and then to back step, front step, bat step, swing with the phone. This um, is from the coolest uh, character yes. in the entire movie because he did know him mm -hmm. at school. And I think I just, my note here says toilet lid would be a better weapon, but the movie isn't called the white toilet lid. So there's <laughs> that. Um, the sister is in a yellow raincoat running to try to find her brother and I thought of Georgie yeah. Denbro. Oh, she's on her bike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it, yeah. The... Stephen King has called this movie um, Stand By Me in Hell. Is, are you serious? Yes. Wow. That's interesting. Is it Stand By Me in Hell? I mean, Did I, you just read this? Uh-huh. Well, it's a bunch of dead boys coming of age, helping each other. I don't know. That's an interesting take. Yeah, like a, a, a rebellion? Yeah. Okay. How does his Stephen son King feel about... Stephen King calls the black phone, <laughs> Stand By Me in Hell. This is according to SlashFilm.com. Oh, man, i got to believe it. Um, I just wrote, what about those steaks? There's a lot of steaks in that freezer, y'all, and it made me have questions. It really did about the dead boys. Like, did he cook them? Or is that them? They, that, they were T bones. Okay. Yeah, those were definitely T bones. I don't just you think. Did you look at that and go, like, "That's a T bone steak"? Well, I don't know that the steak know becomes fried potatoes. so much needed. Uh, 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 I thought the steak, one of the steaks, becomes so much needed later when he tosses it to the dog to get the dogs in to eat. But back to that refrigerator freezer when he breaks in and can't get out. I thought this actor. Mason Thames, um, there was a, such an honest moment. He was great throughout, but famous. He was he was sitting in that freezer and he couldn't get out. And it's like you're rooting for him to get out, but in reality, you're looking at those those door hinges and you're like, those are shut and those fastened, are sturdy, yeah. and you're not getting yeah. out. And I love how he just kind of gave up because that's what would happen in a real fucking you know life situation. And he just sat there for a second. And sobbed and it was the first time he was allowed himself to do that the entire situation and it was heartbreaking to me because it was so real um, the desperation of like I'm gonna die I'm not gonna get out of here um, but through one of the other ghosts uh, help he has been digging a hole which he's been covering um, there's a pile of carpets rolled up in the corner, and I can't help but wonder if the grabber rolls the body into those carpets when he's done, and there's just a few extra, like, sitting around. Oh, that's how he transports them over to the uh, next house. I would not be surprised. Why Why else are there, like, piles so he, of carpets? So he puts them in the carpet, takes it in the van, and then takes it over to the next house because that's where they're buried. Well, just across the street, he could probably just carry it. I mean, I do have a note, like, what is the grabber's deal? I feel like we don't know enough about him, but maybe that's on purpose. Maybe we shouldn't concentrate on that. But it's just... A... Well, for me, it was definitely, I thought, it, it, okay, number one, this room exists downstairs in the basement that they grew up in. Mm -hmm. There's this metal door. That black phone hasn't worked since he was a kid, and he says it. So he spent some time in that basement, and I just took it as, you know... A parental thing that had happened to him as a child that he keeps reenacting with other children, right? 
That's interesting. I didn't even go that deep. Because you're a naughty boy. Right. Um, I, I will say that in the final confrontation when the grabber comes downstairs and the fight happens, the grabber comes, falls into the hole with the carpet over it, and then the black phone is used as the weapon. And this is the part where he just has the top part on and you can see the bottom part of his face. Yeah. Yeah. And he beats the crap out of him and wraps that phone cord around his neck and his mask falls off. And you can tell that's like a big trigger. Trigger. He's shocked. He's scared without his mask on. He's not the grabber anymore. Um, and so uh, that's, that's kind of, spoiler alert, how the film ends. Um, the, the child gets out the police are tipped off to a wrong address well and this is very that's very much silence of the land very much yeah. yeah yeah and then it's he's actually across the street i think my favorite part at the end is when the kid goes basement yeah yeah like check the basement check the ba he's in the basement anyway um and then the dad's there with tears and apologizing to both of his kids and i just wrote like how do you rectify that dad character i mean I felt really bad when he showed up and was hugging them because I was like, I really hope you don't go back to a life of hell. Um, maybe through this trauma there will be healing and change. And that through re realizing that the mother wasn't crazy, she really was clairvoyant, and these children really are as well, and that through them she lives kind of, and hopefully he will change. I feel like his path is set in motion by the death of his wife and that just like ruins him as a person. So hopefully now the kids return to somewhat normalcy will return. Yeah, and I think it is rather problematic to bring any kind of humanity to this character. Mm -hmm. But the honest to God's truth is any person like this is a human being as well. And there's definitely motiv motivating factors behind that. And again, not to give any kind of, you know, uh, this is okay kind of thing. But you can see something affecting somebody, you know, in a bad way. I'm, I've reacted to things in a bad way, um, you know. Well, there's, the, yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Well, you know, there's expectations. There's expectations that kids go to school and everything's normal. That's not true. There's expectations that parents are, are, are all perfect in raising children correctly. That's not true. And part of the, the interesting thing about a movie like this for me is that everybody is kind of a victim of some sort of circumstance and just trying to figure out the best way they can to either heal or get over or whatever. Um, or yeah. wallow. I mean, because we all react to things in different ways mm -hmm. and they're not always, quote, right. Right. Or the same. Yeah. yeah. Or the same. Yeah. yeah. But, but, like, once again, this, like, very familiar home environment, very familiar 1970s uh, activities, very familiar children. And the actor, actors, you were talking about him, but the little girl. is fantastic. She's fantastic. I mean, I believed her. I truly believed her. There was one moment where she fucking balls. And I was just like, I totally believe she prays. She has this hidden altar in her dollhouse where she pulls out a cross and prays to Jesus Christ. And, and then cusses at him. And when things aren't going right, she's like, damn it, Jesus. <laughs> like, fuck you. What's going on? You're, yeah. you're not, you're supposed to listen. You made this happen. And it's a very honest, honest, like. And I love from that point on, because of that 
conversation being written so well that she's having with with God, with Jesus. Throughout the whole thing. You then get this uh, wonderful technical, you see her in front of the dollhouse doing the same thing. You don't have to hear her. It's all done visually. And it's shown up multiple times when she's trying to you know, find her brother. And it does that a lot in the film where it's a lot of visual language that you don't need, you know, the vocalization of it. There's a lot of there's a lot of that done that's actually very economical in time and space where you see like classroom settings or whatever and time passage. Um, but there is some correlation there between her sitting and looking at her dollhouse to in the end sitting and looking at the house that the brothers she thinks is in. There's a nice there's some nice directorial tie-in things that they do that really work. I love how like dingy this world is and drab and even with the color 70s color is not yet 80s color and there's a drabness to it there's an oldness to it by the end of the decade I feel like that I mean I mean any episode of all in the family right yeah that's mm-hmm. what I think drab of. green drab yeah. yellow yeah. yeah and and a lot of still like holdovers from the 60s because not everyone's rich can afford latest furniture so it's like a drab drab kind of world but a also real, you feel it, it's lived in yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I feel that sometimes successfully is done on stranger things to some degree. Um but it, all that stuff feels newer to me than the stuff in this film felt. The stuff in this film felt like when you're watching ET and they're all eating dinner around that Tiffany lamp that's hanging down and you're like I know that space. And that's a dirty space <laughs> with all these kids running around. It's not that nice. Um so that they they get the period really well. And they also get the, uh, the, the, I mean, I think the fashion is really well done, but the weather even is just this depressing gray kind of world that we're living in. Um, and again, my favorite character is the boy that, you know, eventually gets grabbed, but, you know, talks about Enter the Dragon and is a martial artist and all of that. It's very, very, very cool. And very that time period. Yeah. Know? I mean, Bruce Lee was huge. And let's talk about James Ransone's character, another DNA tie to it. James Ransone plays the adult um, brother uh, adult brother of the grabber, but in it he plays the adult um, Eddie. Oh, oh right, right, right. Um, so James Ransone is playing this coked out uh, brother of the grabber who is staying with him. For, it's explained, but it's some kind of, oh yeah, I'm just here staying for a little bit, blah, blah, blah. And he, he is following the grabber case. He has maps up and just knows that the grabber has to be right there somewhere close. Um, and he's right, but he's also really the big toxic trait here is he's a little too trusting of his brother because if your brother has a black van that says abracadabra is doing all this weird shit disappearing you're so coked out maybe you don't notice but he calls the police and tries to tip them off to stuff but um they're like yeah you might want to clean up before your brother gets home and they kind of point at the coke and he looks at it and they leave and he's like oh damn and then he inhales the rest of it um eddie ransone is a great or sorry sorry james ransone i was i was melding his character in himself um, from it, James Ransom's a great actor. Uh, also, fun fact was in the last John Waters film, A Dirty Shame, as one of the twelve uh, sex disciples. And his was sloshing was his thing. He was eating shit off the floor. Anyway, he's very what is sloshing funny. eating like involving food in sexual intercourse. Oh, so um, at any rate, 
that that was a fun fun kind of fact that uh, what I wish the, I wish the uh, listening oh, audience could see my face. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's if you haven't watched John Waters' A Dirty Shame, do yourself a favor. It's disgusting and hysterical at the same time. It's all about sex. Anyway, um, that that's that's all I have. I I thought it was. I mean, let's go around. Would you recommend this film or would you watch it again, Matthew? Um, I probably would not watch it again. Not for any other reason than I'm not really a watch again movie sort of guy. I don't know what that means about my psyche. Are you glad you watched it? I'm glad I watched it, and I feel like I would recommend if you like Stephen King, if you like uh, what I like about the the movie is it it's a believable world. He the the world that you go into is believable. Mm-hmm. As wackadoo as it sounds with the black phone and the toilet and the van the, the and the balloons, you do believe it all. Mm-hmm. You know, they and I love it when stories feel like um you know, Silence of the Lambs I think had maybe a maybe a couple of moments that maybe that maybe pulled me out of it. Of like, wait, is this really happening? Mm-hmm. It might have been like, I don't know, when the guy was raising the Moths, mm-hmm. like that. You know that moment. You're like, no, now wait a minute. What's happening now? You have to like put it all together. But I thought that this movie, everything was just believable. I thought the actors were great. Um, yeah, I, I I would recommend it. Right. Uh, this is my rewatch. I, I saw this movie at the theater. <laughs> so yes. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and the first time I watched it, I loved the first part where you're living in 1978 and you really get to know the characters and I loved the little kids. I got lost the first time around. Not lost like I didn't know what was going on but kind of got, it felt a little uh, in the middle felt a little slow to me uh, but this time around since I had remembered what had happened um, <laughs> it wasn't as slow because I was like oh right this is what happens and, and, and then I recognized that this was his, this boy's you know, coming to terms with the fact that he actually also can, you know, be is clairvoyant and sees, you know, ghosts and things like that. Yeah. Um, so the second watch actually uh, made me like it a little bit more. Yeah. So that's why I rewatch films because I always miss something. Oh yeah. First time around, second time around, third time. No, I'm just joking. But I'm not really. Uh, <laughs> but I would definitely recommend it. I I I'm a big rewatcher. Everybody in this house knows that um see i think for me and, and this is can't you know I, I guess this could be a therapy session <laughs> but for me if i put on something i've already seen i think i already unless i'm in the movie theater that's a whole different scenario then you I, have your blinders on because i don't clock out but if i'm watching something i already think i've seen part of me starts to kind of check out because i feel like i've already seen it rather than ryan who rediscovers something that has been unseen. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of like, oh yeah, I've seen the Harry Potter movie, even though I haven't. <laughs> I'm very like uh, OCD about something. So if, if I'm over here and you guys have cable, I don't, and there's a movie on, I'm like, oh, I haven't seen that movie in a while. If you guys put it on, I don't want it on because I'm then to go, I have to watch the whole thing at that point. Yeah, I can't just watch a piece of it. I have to like, oh right, I haven't seen that movie in a while. I want to watch it. So I have to watch it from the beginning. I can't, you know, go in and, and see the middle of something. I always have to. And when it comes to series of movies, like if I'm like, oh yeah, I don't just rewatch one of the series that I really like. I have to watch the entire series. Now you're just sounding insane. I know it's crazy. 
I would just say that I'm a big rewatcher of things. So yeah, I would recommend this. I would rewatch it. Uh, I, there are disturbing moments of to it, of course, but I think the most disturbing are the real like parental abuse that happens. Um, that's the most disturbing thing to me. Uh, and so it's it's definitely not one for kids, but it's definitely one for people who came up of age around that time. It's it's a it really captures the feeling of, gosh, our parents don't really care where we are, <laughs> um, and there's no cell phones. So that is a black phone, y'all. Um, anything else? Any parting shots? No. Um, no, I, I I'd give it a three and a half stars out of five. Yeah, I would I would probably do a four out of five. I was thinking that there might be a cool way for us to invent sort of like these mini theatrical moments, these buildings that you could actually go into. Movies that have already been at the major theaters, but it's almost like your own personal bowling alley thing that you go in, except you don't need special shoes. And you get in and you pay a certain amount of money for you to choose and watch on the big screen whatever selections they have. That's my that's my closing yeah, thought. Yeah, I kind of had that idea as well and like even making the theater like themed as far as, you know, make it into a a set like from the 80s, make it the uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, facts of life set or something like that and you go in and you watch a I don't know. I'm just saying. No, that's a really good idea, Matt. Yeah, so now somebody's going to steal it. Yeah, great. Uh, I'm going to give it five out of six stars. <laughs> <laughs> Always changing the sliding scale. Oh. All right. All right. Thanks, y'all. Thanks so much for listening to our Black Phone episode. That was a, I don't know, I think it's a, a, a really interesting film um, that, that has a lot of DNA with other Stephen King films, but... I thought uh, Ethan Hawke was uh, playing a character we've never seen him play. Uh, Let us know if you check it out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can always comment, rate, sub uh, subscribe, review, all the stuff. If you want to learn more about us, of course, www.connorsmithmusicals.com. It's Connor with an ER. Um, please share this where you share things, post this where you post things, and... You know, all the stuff. Uh, we're, we have a few more Halloween episodes to get to you before uh, Halloween ends <laughs> next weekend. Halloween ends is a movie that's out right now. So yep. yep. Um, but thank you so much for listening. We'll see you in maybe a couple more days. We'll drop a new episode, okay? Bye. Bye.